0: Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. Spent a lot of last hour talking about the Masters. That is my lane. And now I'm going to sit back on the couch and get ready for football season. And the Colts are getting ready for football season. They get ready a little bit earlier than some of the other teams because they made a coaching change in the offseason. Workouts can begin this week at the team's facilities over on the west side. Talk about that and more. We go to the man who knows everything. ESPN Steven Holder is with us. Hey, Steven, do you like pimento cheese that was my sandwiches? Question.
2: You took it. Yeah. I'm mad. Uh, come again. I missed that. Do I'm you like start.
0: pimento cheese sandwiches?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's one of those things like if if you show up to a. <laughs> you know, a, a cocktail party and that's all they have. Like I'll eat it. Oh, man. <laughs> but like, <laughs> this has been a tough <laughs> go for like me. Going out of my way. <laughs> oh.
0: Jimmy's got nine of them and he's got to figure out how to get them down before <laughs> the cheese curdles even more than it's already curdled between the two slices of bread I'm looking at right now. So we don't know if it's going to happen.
3: Have fun with that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I misguided the vibe at the Easter party yesterday, Stephen thought that people might like some mento cheese sandwiches for the masters. And I'm quickly learning that I'm the only one that apparently enjoys it whatsoever. So that's nice.
2: The the uh, the audience has spoken, I guess. Yes, they have. <laughs> the it still gets – I yeah. mean,
0: but the golf fans love it. I I, just, I don't get it. Give me the chicken every single day. Okay. Uh, Steven, workouts this week for the Colts, for those that can participate, want to participate, will participate because there was a coaching change, get a chance to look at them a little bit earlier. This will be a broad question, but I'm interested in this. Which player or players – is this week most important for, whether it's being seen or learning or, or just maybe just getting into whatever this time of year needs to be for them? Who is this most important for this week?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's really for the players on the offensive side. I know that's a broad answer, but, but the players on the offensive side in particular, this is a big week for them. And the reason for that is because there is continuity on the defensive side. They're bringing back Gus Bradley and the defensive staff on the offensive side, there's almost an entirely new staff, with the exception of Reggie Wayne and a couple of lower level uh, assistants. And so the scheme is going to be different. The emphasis is the, the points of emphasis are going to be different. Everything will change on the offensive side. And consider this now, while Shane Steichen has, has gotten the job or got the job, what, maybe six or eight weeks ago they haven't had a chance to really talk about football. They're not really permitted to have Mm. really, you know, coaching conversations until the off season opens. And that's this week. So they haven't had any real, you know, very specific conversations about scheme and what your role is. If you're Michael Pittman, you want to walk in there and you want to know, okay, what is this going to look like? And what does it mean for me? That's what I want to know. And I know we don't know who the quarterback is most likely just yet, but, I think there's lots of questions that can start to be addressed this week uh, about about who's going to be in a prominent role, uh, different roles in general, all of that. So I think those questions start to get answered this week.
3: Stephen, we're going to obviously dive into the quarterback conversation a little bit with you before we go that route, because you bring up Michael Pittman Jr., I, I've Talked with a number of, of different you know, Colts reporters or Colts on the beat that we've had over the last couple of weeks regarding what happens after that quarterback is selected. They they have a need at cornerback. They have a need uh, at wide receiver. You could argue need a little bit more depth in there. Or maybe you're looking for a true number one. Is the consensus still that Michael Pittman Jr. could grow into that or what's the expectation for him over the entirety of this offseason leading into training camp and ultimately the start of the season?
2: My sense is that it, it depends on who you ask. Like, I think there are people in the Colts organization who who might say Michael Pittman is more of a number two. you know. And, and I think, you know, a very, very, very good number two, right? It's not an insult. Right. But, but, I mean, if you're talking about a high-level number one wide receiver, I don't think you're going to get a widespread agreement on that point about Michael Pittman. Does that mean they won't resign him? Nope. Does that mean that he can't? maybe become that no it doesn't but i think as we stand here today i I think there are some there's there's probably not agreement on whether he is you know a a bona fide a high level number one wide receiver but here's the thing you can't always you don't always have access to to a guy like that right where do you find that guy generally you have to draft him or you have to go out on the free agent market and pay him 20 million dollars a year right so you know, he might be the best they can do for right now, but I'm just saying I do think there is room there for, you know, for, for maybe that that truly dominant number one wide receiver. If, if there was a scenario where they could acquire one, whether drafting or otherwise, I think there's room for that. Now, whether the Colts are inclined, you know, to, to go find that player, that is a different question. And that's where I wonder where, Shine, where Shane Steichen comes in on this because – we know with Frank Reich, he often had a tendency to just settle. Is the wrong word, but like he he was okay not having that that you know sort of Pro Bowl level top dog at wide receiver. He was okay saying we're going to spread the ball around, and it doesn't matter if we have a dominant guy. I don't know that Shane Steichen agrees. I have no idea. You know, it'll be interesting to see what his philosophy is on that. And and then there's also just the reality look more more dangerous players at that position just makes it harder on defenses. The team I always go back to in this regard is the Cincinnati Bengals. And I look at at what they have and what they have provided Joe Burrow with and just his ability to go other places. When Jamar Chase is double covered as he often is, he has options. And let me tell you, those guys come through, but at the end of the day, when he needs a play, even if Jamar Chase is double covered, he goes to Jamar Chase and he makes a play That is what you're talking about. You're talking about a a true bona fide dominant wide receiver.
0: ESPN's Stephen Holder joining us here on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, Will Haskett with you. Uh, Speaking of ESPN, filed just about an hour ago the report confirmed with sources to ESPN's Adam Schefter and a number of others around the interwebs. At least six teams have inquired with the Arizona Cardinals about trading up for the third overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. Uh, Stephen, I would assume that the Colts are one of those six that have had communications about what that price tag might be because... Every day we're going to talk about it. You can't avoid the question that everybody in Indianapolis is talking about. But how much more valuable, especially after all of the workouts last week for the Colts, do we think three is versus four?
2: I think it matters a lot. I really do. This is a unique draft in that you have so many teams that quarterback needs near the top. I mean, quarterbacks obviously have been getting pushed up in the draft for 10 years now. This is not new, but, but it is interesting. I mean, you you don't see quarterbacks go one, two, three, that just doesn't really happen. I don't know if it's ever happened. I'd have to check on that, but, but it, it, you know, it's, it's a pretty rare situation. We could have that this year, depending on whether Arizona trades out. I mean, hell, it could be one, two, three, four. (laughs) I mean, you're talking about, you know, pretty unprecedented stuff now. So, if that's the case, look, you you are already, if you're the Colts, you're already in a scenario where, in the worst-case scenario, you are getting the fourth choice at quarterback in this draft. That is not an optimum place to be. So, given that, I think you have to give yourself every advantage possible. I know they haven't ruled out moving up. I think you have to worry about a few things. Uh, certainly, the, you know, we'll see what the Lions do. They have some draft capital. The Raiders... Can't count them out. Uh, I look at the Titans. Okay, that's a team no one's really talking about, but think about this with the Titans. Granted, they'd have a long way to go, but they have a new general manager, Rand Carthon. And my my theory is that he comes from San Francisco, where they are very aggressive in the trade market and have been both in the draft and and elsewhere. You know, maybe he took some lessons from them, from his, his former colleagues there, right? So there's teams, I think throughout the top 10 and, and into the top 15 that the Colts would have to be wary of jumping them to get to number three. Here's the other thing. The reality is there's no secret. There's no mystery. Everybody knows the Colts are going quarterback, most likely. So, if you're if you're thinking about quarterback, you know where you have to go. It's, there's no, oh, maybe we'll call Seattle. Maybe we'll call Detroit. No, you know you've got to get in front of Indianapolis. So, that takes away the mystery for those other teams and I think it, it makes the
3: Steven, I was in the camp quietly that, well, maybe maybe they don't take a quarterback. Maybe they trade back, and then you start to hear, which I know they're doing their due diligence across the board. Hooker. But you start to hear every – Let's you, go. You hear the Hendon and hooker Let's uh, content. Let's make it happen. But, but, but yeah. you, you also hear, like, they are sending the entire party. It, it leaked out the entire party is going to see Will Levis. So, so maybe that's yeah. smoke. Maybe they did that for everybody, and it just happened to be highlighted because it's Will Levis. Is it pretty clear as day that it would be – a monumental shock if they don't take a quarterback or if they trade back out of four?
2: For me, it would, yes. Yeah. I I am not entertaining okay. uh, the other scenario. Just not. not. Not because it can't happen, just because I just, that is just how minimal a percentage I put on that. I, I just, I think there's too much pressure on them to, to do it. And the other thing is, you know, Chris Bowder has even acknowledged this. Having the number four overall pick, while there are some disadvantages right now because of who's picking in front of them. At the end of the day, let's be, let's be honest, though. Number four, that is, that is as high as they've picked you know, since selecting Andrew Luck, yep. right? So, I mean, this is a pretty rare situation, as, as Chris Ballard has said. I mean, think about the amount of pain, as he put it, it took. To get to number four, <laughs> hey, granted, there's teams in front of them that have that have more cards to play. But the fact is, I mean, it took it took a historically bad season to get there, yeah. and to to come away from it without taking a shot at the quarterback, I think would be malpractice. Now, you could, as an organization, make the evaluation, and I trust them more than my own knowledge. But you could make the evaluation that we hate these quarterbacks, and these guys are not not it for us. And in that case. I'm willing to listen to the argument. But I I just think that unless you are completely convinced that's the case, and no one seems to suggest that it is, unless you're completely convinced that's the case, this is just too precious an opportunity in my
0: book. Uh, quarterbacks have gone one, two, and three in the NFL draft twice. Two years ago, the 2021 draft, that was the Trevor there Lawrence, you. Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. You have to go all the way back to the great year of 1999. I was graduating from high school. I was four. At that mm. point in time. Oh, you were four. That right? was Jimmy. <laughs> that was the Tim Couch, Donovan <laughs> Thanks, McNabb, guys. Achilles Smith draft. Remember that? Achilles Smith. We oh, thought he man. was going to turn heads in Cincinnati. That, uh, that did not pan out. So that's the only two times we've had the top three picks be quarterbacks. It's never been. We've had four straight quarterback selections and it kind of begs the question Stephen because again the Cardinals hold all the chips here especially with the trade with the Panthers moving up to number one is that they can fall down and get a difference making defensive player depending on where those trades come from underneath them and I kind of feel like we're in the same situation when when we all saw what the Panthers gave up to move to number one you're sitting there going man it's almost as if the Colts are in such a bad value position from a trade because if you truly want to give up what it likely costs you just to move up from 4. It's a king's ransom compared to a team giving up the 9 or the 11 or whatever it might be and it's it's just I just feel like somebody's going to leap in front of them that are just dangling too much and are the Colts willing to spend what's probably going to be an obscene price to literally just slide up one because you happen to like Richardson or Levis over the other that much more.
2: Mm. It will be interesting to see you know, what the cost could, what the cost will be. I think there's also another side to that coin. You're, you're not wrong. I I have no idea what it would be, but it, it won't be cheap because there are other suitors. That's the thing. If the Colts were the only team calling, then we'd have a different conversation. We know, I don't know the extent of the conversations with Indianapolis, but, but whatever it's been, they're not the only team. we we know this, right? I mean, we just talked about the report, and we also have common sense, right? We can look at the board and see, you know, who's behind them, and and it just makes sense, right? So so the Colts are not in a great position. There's no question about it. However, the other side of that coin is, for Arizona, what does it mean to them, right? How far down do they want to go? I mean, they can still get their guy, who I presume would be Will Anderson, they can still get him at number four under this scenario of trading with the Colts. You could pick up, you know, a couple extra really valuable picks. Only move one spot, and the only thing you've lost is you're just picking the guy you want one pick later. So you've lost nothing. So I really think it depends on Arizona's appetite for for losing out on on the cream of the crop. You know, that's the thing. Because if they go beyond, eh, if they go beyond Detroit, I, I think you're, then you're talking about either Seattle or. For Detroit, you know, possibly picking a Will Anderson, you know, and then, uh, then you're you're going to Plan B, or whatever Arizona's Plan B would be. So, so that that's what that's what I would say. And they they clearly need help on defense, so that's going to be a priority for them. So I don't know. I, I think there's two ways yeah, to look at that, and I it really will boil down to what Arizona's appetite will be. How far can they go and hold their nose and go down, you know, far enough, you know, where they feel like they're in good position.
3: Stephen Holder, nice enough to take some time with us. Colts beat writer for ESPN, covers the NFL as a whole for ESPN as well. Uh, Stephen, you tweeted about it yesterday. I, I thought you kind of hit the nail on the head as to the rationale for why Aldo Beckham Jr. is headed to Baltimore. Uh, is that a, just another prime example that uh, money wins out? Is that, is, that the, is that the the key takeaway there?
2: No. So, yes, it does. Okay. I mean, I don't know who else was lining up to pay uh, Odell Beckham as much as $18 million, <laughs> I think, when you factor in the incentives. Yeah. I mean, the, the list is probably very short, and I think it's just one team. However, I will say this. I've had a couple conversations this morning, and I have softened that take a little bit, okay. I will tell you. Now, so, I'm glad you asked, because, you know, what, I, what I'm what i hearing now, and from someone in particular who kind of, I would say, is somewhat close to that situation, there's been a lot of conversation, it appears, between Odell Beckham and Lamar Jackson I mean they've been posting I guess they, there was some there were some Instagram posts uh, I think they were perhaps hanging out together in Miami this weekend for one thing and so the other thing here is maybe this is the reality what is really happening for Lamar Jackson right now what what are his options the answer is he has none whether you like that or agree or whatever, yeah. whatever your position, whether you think his demands are reasonable, I, I, don't, I don't care. That's not the point. The point is the ball hasn't moved for him. Yeah, He doesn't have anybody else to play for right now. <laughs> so <laughs> for Lamar Jackson, uh, at the moment at least, it's Baltimore or nothing. Um, unless somebody steps up. And I honestly think, frankly, the, the, the real window is between now and the draft. Because the team's that are that are potentially going to be in that market they're going to be looking toward the draft for solutions and if they i think that the the number of teams who would potentially be in the market for Lamar Jackson it gets cut pretty dramatically after the draft so he's going to have possibly even fewer suitors at that point so if you're Lamar Jackson maybe just maybe you're coming to terms with things and thinking, okay, well, maybe we can make the best of this if I do go back to Baltimore. The one thing he does have now is, in, in terms of leverage, while he may not have a lot of contract leverage or as much as he wants, he maybe does have leverage for Baltimore to say, hey, we can entice you to come back and, and make this a more amenable situation for you and maybe getting a guy like Oda Beckham does that for him. I don't know. But I think that's, those are some of the things where my wheels are turning now.
0: A player that may or may not change teams this offseason there, ESPN.com. Stephen also has the list of the remaining best free agents on the market. If the Colts are going to spin uh-huh. anymore, it's an interesting list of who's left based off of the rankings that Matt Bowen puts together on that one. Yeah. Number one, Yannick Ngakwe still has not signed with anybody. Former Colt, obviously, Rocky Sin comes in number two on that list, and you got a guard in Dalton Risner. I just see all sorts of Colt potential, whether it's past mm. players or current need that's on that list. Are, are we? Is the shopping cart still on aisle ten right now for Chris? Ballard and company.
2: Well, look, I mean, I think if you look at Chris Ballard's history, he's made some some key additions late into the free agent signing period. You know, I I think Stephon Gilmore. You know, although they just traded him, but but if you want to go back to that acquisition, you know, that happened, I believe, in late March, if not early April, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, You can go back to Eric Fisher. Now, I don't know that that was a great signing, but it was an important signing because of the position. Yeah, Yeah, the left tackle. But that happened after the draft, if I recall. So, you know, you're talking about a a guy who really does utilize, and Chris Ballard utilized the entire calendar when it comes to acquiring players. He talks about that all the time. I I think you're also going to see that list possibly change after the draft. You know, depending on how teams address certain needs, there are always – our veterans that wind up on the market after the draft in those late cuts. So yeah, I, I would agree. I think that, you know, you're still you're still kind of pushing the shopping cart around. It might not be quite full, but <laughs> but that doesn't mean you you can't throw a few more things in there. So I, I would say that everything is still on the table. You know, they've got a at the end of the day, they they, they kind of need some answers at quarterback too before they can really begin to to know where they are I think and that's part of the problem with the Colts right now is what are they? I don't know you look at them and you can't get past the single biggest question you know and and once you answer that question maybe then you have clarity on some other things.
3: Steven, kind of a, a two-part question to to end things first, do you think right now 17 days from the draft that inside of West 56th, they know the selection they'd like to make, assuming they stay at four between Richardson and Levis. And secondly, outside of you know, keeping your notifications on, keeping Adam Shatter's notifications on, when you hear all this about, oh, the whole uh, Calvary went to go see Will Levis, or you're seeing these Nuggets reported, what, if anything, should Colts fans keep an eye on through these next two weeks plus?
2: So uh, as far as the first question, my perception is that they they have a, they likely, I should say, they likely have a preference. Whether they have a final decision, I think is a different statement. Okay. Um, my, let's put it this way. The, the, the vibe that I have gotten is thats is that there is, there are differing opinions. And I'm talking particularly uh, between the two guys that, that we think they would be talking about, right? Anthony Richardson and, and Will Levis. Um the vibe that I get is that there have been ongoing conversations about both and that maybe there's something less than a, a consensus there. Okay. And and actually, that probably makes sense, right? I mean, I, I think they're so different. They're, they are they both can be polarizing in their own way as prospects. So maybe that's not shocking, right? Um, ultimately, Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen are going to have to put their heads together and, and come to an agreement and, and figure out who their guy is. I, I think – it sounds, at least from, from my conversation with Demersi, like he's willing to, to defer on that one. And I think we'll just trust them to make the right choice. So I don't think he really plays a factor in in the ultimate decision. I just think they have to come to a decision and come to a, a consensus. And it it, it it appears as though it's been difficult to get there. And, and I don't know that that's a bad thing. You shouldn't use all the time that you have. So I know that that may sound maybe unbelievable after you know years of scouting these guys but you know it's they're they're different players and and they would mean different things for your football team and they would be used differently etc so I get it Uh, as for what you should look for (laughs) basically ignore everything Um, (laughs) it's a terrible answer but it's probably the truest answer Uh, I I do think it's, it's probably normal when you're taking a big contingent to go see a quarterback prospect you know when you're talking about a top five pick I mean it makes sense I, I saw what the Panthers have done I think even their owner that went to a couple of pro days I think that makes sense right I mean you want everybody who has a, a stake in it to to have all the information now the other thing about the Colts is that they they have not made uh, much use of the pro days so I think for them uh, they're putting more stock in, in their own private evaluation, which I think is fine. You know, they may want to see things that, that they may not see in the pro day because the pro day is very scripted. Uh, in in the private workout, you can both get one-on-one time and you can also put them through the paces uh, the way you would like so that you orchestrate that workout as opposed to the player and his private coaches orchestrating the workout so you know you can emphasize certain skill sets that you want to see etc so I I understand that approach and I I think there's a lot of value in what the Colts are doing there so if anything the takeaway would be uh, this is a lot of effort they're putting into it and it just solidifies for me that this is going to be a quarterback pick.
0: Steven, I'm just appreciative of the fact that every day you can take the same questions <laughs> and find a way to create content in either in interviews art. or online, because it, we don't know anything until we get to the draft, and it feels like it is crawling in our direction. But uh, appreciate all the insights, and we'll see what comes out of uh, some conversations over on West 56th Street this week.
2: Yeah, I'm about to, about to spin it again in this 2,000-word uh, quarterback story i now. <laughs> Looking forward to that one. Yeah, maybe
0: some 2024 prospects in there, just in case things <laughs> go right. a little bit crazy, right? <laughs>
2: That's right. Let's go crazy. Thanks, Stephen. Enjoy
0: right, a pimento right. and cheese on us today, all right?
2: <laughs> uh, we'll
0: see. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Steven. That's Stephen Holder from ESPN.
1: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
3: Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Along with Will Haskett, I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison guiding us through the afternoon. Appreciate you hanging along with us. Just talked with Stephen Holder. That conversation will be up, of course, wherever you get your podcast. 1075thefan.com to search the Fan Midday Show. Joining us now, also be a part of the podcast, is one Greg Rankstraw. you hear him later this week on the Fan Midday Show on Thursday. Before we dive into a plethora of conversations, Rake, it's time to make myself feel a little bit more uh, clownish your thoughts on pimento cheese sandwiches am I a loon or have you ever consumed them and enjoy
4: I have consumed and enjoyed of course I course has not say that it's something that I uh, seek out on a regular basis but for those that marvel at the amazingly low price, upset pimento and cheese sandwiches when you're at Augusta National. Just remember that's after you gave one of your kidneys
3: to actually get into the building. So, yeah, the tickets aren't cheap. Out. Ten grand for a four-day pass the on the, the secondary market. polos
0: aren't cheap. Yep. The hats aren't yep. cheap. Yep. Ten million a day in merchandise. <laughs> they do down there. Ten million dollars a day in uh, merch. All right, Rake, so many different ways we could go. And I know that these guys really want to talk soccer, so that's where I was going to lead off. Uh, the Arsenal-Liverpool draw yesterday is it now is is man city now inevitable is that where we've arrived at in premier league
4: i'm stunned that that's the way the way you want to begin absolutely you're my soccer expert of soccer let's go off the uh, off the top of the show yeah they needed to keep that more than say like a three-point buffer knowing that they've got a match in hand and knowing that seemingly man city has got their number the only thing <laughs> that i could imagine could slow down city from winning again would be the fact that, understandably so, because they've now won the league a myriad of times and had have never won the Champions League, at some point there could be a slip-up because their focus is on the midweek match and not on the Saturday match. It's the, it's the only sense that I can make of it. But yes, even though getting a point was better than no points yesterday, um, the fact that now those two will likely be level after the time they get even on matches and play each other you think City's taking on the title? I would agree with that.
0: I would agree with that too. All right, Jimmy Savas. So I had I to do that because I know you guys wanted to talk so much soccer in this segment.
3: <laughs> I mean, look, no, no. I like, like Rake knows that I, I enjoy my fair share of soccer consumption. I'm, I'm brightened in terms of what the Premier League title race could look like now. To think that like Man City's back in the hot like what that final seven to ten match day is going to look like. um Turn in the car a little bit, though, Rake. <laughs> um, I guess since we've talked about it a little bit to start the show, and I know that you're all-consuming around the sports world as well, uh, your overall thoughts on on Masters weekend and just the, the takeaway of it of John Rahm winning a green jacket.
4: You know, I'm, I'm happy for him. Obviously, you know, and, and Will and I have talked about this on the air before. To me, still, the the main storyline in golf is, is not about an individual. It's tour versus tour. Uh, and, and I have lost track whether this is a Ryder Cup year or a president Cup Cup. year. Uh, say so thank you. And so, Brooks so gets and he touch. gets
0: points. Now, I wanna cut you off, Rick, but Brooks Kepka gets Ryder Cup points for his performance yesterday because it's a PGA of America run program, not a PGA tour event, which is very complicated to the people that don't understand it. Those are two separate entities. So yep. if Brooks had won yesterday, it's close, especially if he plays well on one major rake of him having enough points to make it on points, which would lead to a really interesting conversation later. Sorry to interrupt. Just wanted to make sure we get all the, uh, the things out there.
4: That's quite all right. But I understand the importance of the president's cup when it was started in 94, because at that point in time, you know, more of the better non-American players were not from Europe. You know, Vijay Singh, Nick Price, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, the importance of that event, maybe, maybe in this, maybe not in like in Asia, so to speak, um, or Australia. But you know, here obviously we're much more focused on the Ryder Cup. I'm really hoping that by the time 2024 rolls around for the Presidents Cup, we have ditched that format and it's full on PGA Tour versus Live Golf. Mm-hmm. That's the blood, death, cage match that I want to see in golf is the live golf guys against the pga tour guys because to me that's the most compelling rivalry in the sport right now
0: cynical me wonders if live will still be around in fall of 2024 for us to make that happen but you know what endless money makes keeps the lights on for a lot longer than it needs to uh rake there's so much going on in sports it's the why we love where we are here in central indiana because there's always something going on there's a a pro day going on today for central indiana guys from an nfl draft standpoint you know everything about anything that is sport in the state more than any of us do give me a couple of guys former prep football players in Indiana who I should be all I care about is a quarterback right now for this draft give me some hometown yeah. give me some hometown hopefuls to hope for coming up in the draft in a couple of weeks
4: oh my goodness I believe the name is Julius brent and I forget where he played his college football at but he is a Warren Central kid he has been testing very well so in terms of say like the guys that are off the radar, he is the one that you would pay attention to. The obvious choice is DeJuan Jones. And I remember having this conversation and debate four years ago. You know, is he going to play college basketball. He really was a basketball kid first and a football kid second. And, you know, was he a Big Ten-level basketball player? No. Could Chris Holtman have used him this year at Ohio State? Yes, he would have helped them. But probably from a recruiting standpoint, he's more of a Mid-American Conference or Horizon League-level player. Uh, And I kept thinking, hey, he can go to football eventually. Well, clearly he made the right decision. He's probably going to be a first-round draft pick as a right tackle. And his measurements are absolutely insane. You know, they normally have to put 40, 50 pounds on a kid to be an offensive lineman. He's the one kid they'd take 20, 30 pounds off of because he's such a large human being. And the last basketball game of DeJuan's I got to call would have been the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star game at Bellarmine. In the summer of 2019 and as he goes up for a dunk i literally hear the groans from the crowd is the rim going to hold him is he going to bring down the entire basket support and is our game over at that point the rim held up just fine he's a phenomenal athlete and he is a great kid so clearly kind of like last year we were following the story of george karloftis and david bell uh, Dewan is, is the guy that has that kind of headline ability with local players this year. The Brent's kid is the one that's kind of off the radar, you should be paying attention to.
3: Greg Rakestraw, nice enough to take some time with us here on The Fan. Rake, we are transitioning away from from the hyperbole and, and the rose-throwing toward Shane Steichen, and now that he's here with with uh, a practice availability, being able to start early in the offseason program for them now since they have a new head coach in Tote. Uh, what are you monitoring this week as we get closer and closer to their first uh, voluntary workout uh, at the back end of this month? Uh, what all are you tracking outside of the draft with this new era beginning for Colts football?
4: Oh, man, it's the draft, and, and I understand the ESOTAs and 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 the off-season program. If this gets underway, and while the pro day takes place today, kind of the first meeting with with Shane and players that are back takes place on Wednesday. But because there is this you know huge chunk of the puzzle that has yet to be decided, every the next couple of weeks is is, is nice. It's important. You got to go through it. You got to install the new offense. But in theory, the guy that is going to get at least some level of snaps, if not all of them, it, you know, that guy is not yet on your team and, and won't be officially for about 17 more days. So this is all prelude. This is all buildup. But what really is going to be the most important thing is what's going to take place on Thursday, April the 27th, and that is the first name called by the Indianapolis Colts, whether that's a pick four, whether that's a pick three. I hope it's not after pick four, but it's always a possibility. Uh, but but it's 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 the quarterback man. That that's it. And and, yep. and everything else is secondary at this
0: point. Greg Rake start joining us and to follow up on that question, Rake, if you go by just how this draft is shaping out, if you're at three or you're at four there are two guys that you're going to probably have on the board unless something crazy happens above them. I I guess there's still maybe an outside chance that Richardson goes in the top two. If someone just falls absolutely in love with his measurables, which would probably behoove the Cardinals who apparently have shopped it to six teams to hold on as long as possible and maybe even wait until they're on the clock to make that move, depending on what happens above them. So them making a trade before then they'd have to be overwhelmed by that offer. But let's just say it falls the way it looks right now between Richardson and Levis. I'm not saying they're the same player, but they offer the same sort of measurables in terms of size and escapability from the pocket, one more prone to probably run than the other. I mean, I'm not saying you're going to start building offense around a hypothetical, but we sort of see what the future of this team can look like in what Shane had last year and what the likely makeup of the signal caller of the future is going to look like if we start to really try and project this hypothetical.
4: Correct. And, 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 and again, you know, are, are the Colts willing to move up to three? And they're not going to get above that because Carolina's made their move. Houston's not trading with them. And so again, if the board falls as you'd expect, some combination of Stroud and Young are going in the first two picks. So it comes down to Levis and Richardson. And if I had my druthers, I'd probably lean towards Richardson. And I know that there are a lot of question marks with that. But I also know that there's a home run potential there. And I would probably. Especially with a guy that I think is a pretty solid backup and a secondary option in Minshew, and knowing kind of the pieces that you've got around him in Jonathan Taylor, uh, and obviously an offensive line that we've seen greatness and, and we've seen terrible uh, in a not too you know wide swath of, of time frame uh, from some of the same players, but but knowing that again what you think is possible, I probably lean towards Richardson. How exactly the Colts are, are going to lean, I don't think any of us truly have an idea. Chris Ballard's pretty good about playing that pretty close to the best at this point. So if you ask my my prediction, Richardson. But do I think the Colts are willing to give up a king's ransom to move up to three to get him? No, I do not. And hence, it may become Levis almost by default.
3: Is there any scenario, Greg Reichshaw, joining us here on The Fan, where Levis by default is not intriguing enough so that even though you joked about it a second ago, they aren't taking a quarterback there, or they trade back. Is that on the board
4: again? I think it's possible, and clearly we have a track record of, of of Chris Ballard doing that, right? But I also I also think there is there is certainly acknowledgement that hey, how you have done business in the past has not worked. And again, for you know the way the last four years have played out, I can easily understand and and value the logic of every quarterback move they made. You know, from 2020 to 2021 to 2022. I get all of that because of where this team was. And it was definitely, hey, we're not rebuilding or retooling, depending on how you want to define that. But let's get a veteran quarterback because of the pieces that are around are in place. And we need a guy who doesn't need a guy to be a pro bowler. Just be good. Just play to your league average position, and this team's going to be fine. And the law of diminishing returns and results kicked in. Especially in 21 and 22, and so with that, you know you have to acknowledge you don't get a chance to pick in the top four on a regular basis. At least you better hope not. And clearly, a a regime, a front office, doesn't get multiple chances to pick at that spot. So give me give me the quarter even even the fourth best quarterback. Give me the quarterback at four, not trading down, and, and then looking at a hand in Hooker, another op- opportunity, or potentially drafting a guy next year.
0: I still love the idea of Hooker. I'll get into that. I'll get into the last hour of why I think that's a good idea. Uh, this is normally when we say goodbye to our guests uh, in this, but I'm going to do a pull Jake query here and go totally esoteric because I have the encyclopedia that is Greg Rekstra <laughs> on the line here. Uh, about this time on Friday, we were celebrating a UND 7- Inning no-hitter and a 4-for-4 performance. A shout-out to Brady Ware for doing that rake. I'm going to go even farther into that because that was an amazing thing, if you're a baseball fan, to see what that young man did. And then over the weekend, we get a minor league team that gets no hit and wins a game 7-5. to Now, I want to know. You can give – Your love, I'll give you 30 seconds to talk about how awesome Brady Ware was, Rake, if you want to. But I want to know, have you ever seen anything in calling all of the numerous diamond sports that you have like a 7-5 victorious team that got no hit?
3: No,
4: that's stunning to me. Um, I have called three different no hitters, one of them in the old Colt World Series in Lafayette. I guess I had had four because I had a five-inning one in that event last year. Uh, that actually was a five inning perfect game, but because it was five innings, I'm like, eh, I don't really get I fired up about it. Had one college one, one high school, and then one kind of at the youth level. And I have seen teams lose no hitters in the past, you know, where, where like one nothing. I yeah. remember as a kid like Andy Hawkins, I think for the Yankees, back before the Yankees were any good, when in fact they were terrible, like he lost a game for nothing. Or he no-hit the opponent. I think it was 1998 for whom they were playing at that, but I remember, simply remember it Andy Hawkins. But that's what I'm trying to figure out and do the math on. How in God's name do you get no-hit and score seven times? <laughs> that's the part that I'm trying to figure out.
0: Seventh inning, a combination of walks, hit batters, defensive errors, wild pitchers, the Chattanooga Lookouts defeated the Rocket City Trash Pandas 7-5. to five. Poor Trash Pandas. Poor Trash Pandas, indeed. So uh, some good things for the Reds. That was That's a typical Reds Minor league situation, right there, right. You can't summon any offense whatsoever, but you still find a way to win a game. That's a Cubs fan getting a dig in on the Reds whenever I possibly can. But uh,
4: as a Reds fan, I will gladly take that, given how bad we are, and given that Ken Griffey Jr. is our fourth highest paid player this year on the team, um, and the fact of like uh, you know the the Indianapolis Indians, you know, got swept their opening weekend. But suddenly, are over 500 after their next week-long series. Why? Because they were playing the Louisville Bats, the Triple-A Farm Club. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I get that completely.
0: Misery loves company. That's, that's, that's so we're true. It on down. We're there with that's you. So true. Hey, Rake, uh, great talking with you. Have fun in this chair coming up in a couple of days. And um, how many games do you get between now and then? 15, 20? How many, how many games are we going to call between now and then?
5: Last,
4: last week, I ended up having eight. It's kind of a chill week this week. I have three. So I've high school Atta, baseball babe. tomorrow night, high school baseball Wednesday night, and a little high school softball on
0: Friday. I used to keep pace with this guy and then <laughs> just it's it's a futile effort.
4: And you got a real job, you know, traveling around with a pg that's right. That, by, that,
0: that's right. Long broadcast windows. You know, I will trade a high school softball game for 95 degrees, seven, eight hour broadcasts in the in the heat <laughs> sometimes. So you, you went had
4: a college softball doubleheader on Tuesday and we were done in three and a half hours. Oh I got a college a softball I,
0: yeah, college play. softball tournament's their best. Any any <laughs> softball tournament whatsoever is the average absolute best they fly through those games amen to that do you have any idea how
4: many college softball tournaments jimmy you were talking to these two broadcasters with you right now we could give you chapter and verse on the horizon league division two division three i mean really nobody else would care so i'll stop
0: talking right now how many weeks of of your life have you spent in Cary, north carolina
4: I have spent uh, over a month of my yes, life. Cary, yes, amen to it's that, glorious. brother.
0: NCAA.com for life. We should have it tattooed on our back somewhere. All right. That's right. Thanks, Ray. Talk to you. See you, bud. Uh, that's a great, Greg Rakeshaw. Sorry, we had to get off on a little tangent there. No, no, I totally when, get it. When they started streaming sports on the internet, I'm pretty sure it was either Greg or my face was the first thing that people started <laughs> seeing back in the day. We have We have traveled a lot of places in this country to call some obscure sports through the years.
3: Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, Will Haskett, coming to you here from the com studios, high above the circle in downtown Indianapolis. want to welcome in our next guest... Alex Golden of Setting the Pace podcast on the Blue Wire podcast network. Always nice when he stops by and makes some time with us. You thought that we, we being me and Will Haskett, were frustrated with the way things ended yesterday. Uh, Alex Golden, probably more so as kind of your nightmare scenario as you tweeted along for your following on Twitter. Alex uh, played out yesterday in that win over the New York Knicks to end the regular season.
5: Yeah, I mean... At the end of the day, it is what it is. I mean, it just changes the lottery odds a little bit. But you know, being potentially in you know tied for sixth, going to tie for seventh, and maybe falling to eighth, you know, best odds. That seems a little bit uh, you know frustrating as a fan because you could have been a few spots ahead. So I mean, obviously cool to see the guys. Finish the season with a win, but. You know, it just really stinks, and if you look at it from a from a draft perspective, and then of course the Rockets getting a win over Washington after Washington won on on Friday night, which I think was a little bit surprising that they won that game too. So the fact that they lose to Houston, and now you might actually lose the uh, the 32nd pick in the draft. It just it does hurt your assets a little bit in what you could do this off
0: And that 32nd pick obviously means a lot if you paid any attention to this Pacers team this year and what late ra- yeah. late first round, early second round picks can be, Alex. Uh, we talked a lot about this in the first hour about what they have, what they still don't know that they have, but any combination of this and how important this draft is to back up how good the last draft was. If you had to guess about what the the total capital would look like when that draft kicks off in a couple of months' time, where do you think the Pacers are going to be? Are they going to try and bolster this roster with four to five picks, or are they going to do their darndest to try and and capitalize on that capital to make the biggest splash to add what maybe is one or two missing pieces that this roster needs?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that you know last year we thought they might try to get back into the draft and they weren't able to do it and they kind of you know stuck with their guns and, and kept their same picks they had. I don't. Really see if they do end up getting that thirty-second pick with the Rockets. I don't. I don't really see them being able to draft four guys and go about building the roster out that way. So I personally think that those assets are more intrig- enticing and intriguing because of what you could do with them. Now we obviously saw Nimhard with the second-round pick last year, and the Pacers pick that they got uh, from Cleveland, which was the Rockets as well. So. You know, they've, they've benefited from that. But I do think that this is the year where they're probably going to try to maybe move those picks, maybe move future picks and make a year move. Don't know exactly who that's going to be because there's a lot of teams that are going to be looking to add players that could be on the market via uh, trade to get their rosters a little bit better for next year. Because I think, you know, you look at what Damian Lower said yesterday about Portland, you look at how the Mavericks kind of fell out of things. You know, the Pacers are going to have some of competition and trying to go out there and build this roster the right way. So I think just having the picks that they have, is going to be huge, but I don't, I don't anticipate them trading their top 10 pick. I think that they're going to take that player. And then the other picks are probably more up for grabs than, Uh, Maybe players on the roster could be moved as well with those picks if they feel like there's something out there.
3: Alex Golden taking some time with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA host of Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast, as well as covering the Pacers throughout the course of the season into the off season. Alex, Will and I kind of went over our massive takeaways from this season. Overall, it kind of met the expectations we felt would occur over the course of this year. Obviously, the biggest story is Tyrese Halliburton being every bit as good as people hoped that he would be. When you look at stories outside of Halliburton, what are the biggest things that you'll hang your hat on from this season as you prepare for what the draft may hold for them?
5: Yeah, I think if you're looking at this team, the team, next, the next big, you know, storyline I guess team from the season is just the growth of Miles Turner and the step that he took. You know, this is a guy that looked to be on the outs in the off season specifically and then a lot of trade rumors all season long. He even gets asked about it on the low spot at the beginning of the year and he you know, talked about his significance there and changed his agent during the middle of the season and then ended up, uh, you know, renegotiating a contract to – come back to the Pacers for, for a two-year deal so he can re-enter free agency when the salary cap goes up, but also you know, sign the extension that he did so that they can have more spending money in the offseason. So I think that honestly like his growth and his pairing with Halliburton was something that I don't think a lot of people expected to happen as well as it did. And then of course, your two rookies in Matherin and Nembhard and- really stepped up this year and showed that they can be legitimate pieces for this team moving forward. I think Ben Matherin has been a little bit overlooked the last month or so as a guy that was in the Rookie of the Year race because he had been a part of that all the way up till probably February. And then come March and April, you know, it's been uh, Walker Kessler and uh, uh getting the guys name out on okay, now, Jalen uh, Williams. So, you know, it's like all these guys are – Ended up, you know, taking over for what he did. That's because the Pacers started losing more games. I think Matherin played fantastic uh, with, with uh, the Pacers this year as a rookie, and I think Nimhart, the responsibility that Carlisle put on him, not only be uh, a playmaker and a secondary playmaker with that offense, uh, he also had him guarding probably the best player on the team almost every game. That was a guard. So his defensive presence and his defensive, uh, you know, challenges and you know responsibilities. Definitely not something you see from a rookie, but I think that Nembhard showed that he's well beyond his years as a, as a rookie. So I think that got to feel great about that core four. And then the last one here I'll say quickly, just Aaron Eastmith. I feel like when he played specifically with Halliburton, we saw a totally different player. Now I don't know if he's a starter long-term or not, but I do believe in his defense ability, and I do believe in his catch-and-shoot shot making. I don't believe that he's a guy that can – You know, made shots off the dribble very well. Didn't see a whole lot of that, but as a 3 and D type of player, I think he could be very uh, beneficial for
0: the team. Alex, you talked about roster construction, and when you look at this crew and so many different bodies and lots of questions to how they all fit together next season, and then obviously who you add to that. So I'm going to give you full freedom through the draft, let's say it's let's say it's top 3 protected. They don't win, but they can sort of work through that spot in whatever it be whatever it ends up being, maybe 6, 7 or 8 in the top 10 of the draft and then either free agency or the ability to move for somebody else. I give you one free agent acquisition and one top 10 draft prospect that's top 3 protected I guess we'll say. So I'm I'm adding too many things now. I said I was going to give you everything. I'm, I'm I'm actually giving you some limitations. But I give you two roster spots if you were truly to round out this team with a with a free agent acquisition and a top 10 draft pick. Where would you what would you do? What would you look to get and what are the players that you'd be targeting with those two selections?
5: Yeah, so with the top three is not being in play, I would assume that's going to be Weminyama, Stu Henderson, and Brandon Miller. Correct. So for me, I, I would uh, I would look at Jared Walker. I really like his fit, and I think he could be someone that fits well next to Miles. Now there is some people that worry about you know can he guard threes in the NBA? Can he guard twos? And we saw him in the NCAA tournament be switched on the on the smaller players and hold his own. Now he's still got a long ways to go as a young player, but I'm intrigued by him. So that would be probably my first choice as of today. Which my opinion will change probably over the off just because that's how it goes. But that's what I'm looking at, and then if I'm looking via. Did you say via trade?
0: Yeah, I mean, if there's either either straight up free agent, or if you know that there's somebody that's probably going to be on the move, where you could package those late yeah. picks for. I mean, like, I mean, we're not trading for you know a guy under contract. We're not trading for Jason Tatum. You know, you know, what I'm saying like if there's right. somebody you know that's kind of out there.
5: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the default answer has been on a lot of people's minds is just because there's a lot of rumors of and Anobi. I mean, that would, that would make a ton of sense, but once again, he's got a player out since the end of the year, so what are you willing to give up for a guy that could leave you after one season? I don't know if that's the smartest route to go, and if you have to give up a bunch of stuff to get him. So I think that's kind of like, you know, it's, it's realistic, but how realistic is the Pacers talked about being aggressive in the offseason? So I think that's the name to keep an eye on, but you know, if, if you're looking at free agency and you want to add maybe somebody that might not cost as much, someone that's played under Carlisle before, is a veteran presence, He's actually played with Tyree Saliburn and Buddy Hill, that's Harrison Barnes. He's a free agent this year. I would, I would expect the Kings to probably want to bring him back, but was getting Chris Murray, uh, or Keegan Murray, he's a Keegan Murray, last year in the draft. Do they still, you know, want to pay Barnes? What he's wanting them to be paid, and How do they go about that? But I think... Kind of been a little bit under the radar since he was with Golden State. I feel like he was kind of a scapegoat for that team. Obviously didn't have the greatest finals and greatest playoff run with him, but he was so young at that point, too. I just I think that I think Garrison Vines is a guy that could make a lot of sense um, if you're trying to add in someone that knows Carlisle system and is a veteran present that could help this team get back to, uh, you know, make it the playoffs.
3: Alex Golden, nice to take some time with us of setting the pace. Alex, when you look at the roster as it stands right now, the pieces that will be present, draft picks aside, trade pieces aside, when you look up and down, where is a name that could potentially be on the move or wouldn't surprise you if they weren't with the Pacers next year that's still currently under contract? Yeah,
5: unfortunately, I think you have to look at Christy Duarte as the first guy. I think... Not not necessarily because he's a bad player. I think it's more so because of his inability to fit into the roster that they currently have. There are so many guards right now that I think are above him in the pecking order. And he's suffered a lot of injuries since he's been in the NBA. He was a little bit older when he was drafted. And he was drafted for the team the Patriots had before they went in this rebuild. So I think that, you know, unfortunately he didn't play a lot down the stretch of the season when they were, you know, trying to develop their young players, I think that he could have benefited from that. But I just feel like the sample size right now, uh, it's not like small, but it's not large either. We haven't seen enough of Duarte with this group to so feel great about it, but I think he's still on that rookie contract, and I think that any guy that can you know, shoot the basketball and play a pretty solid defense on a rookie contract, teams that are trying to buy someone cheap, Could be really interested then, and I think that's that's someone to keep an eye on, potentially on the move this offseason.
0: Alex, there's a lot of conversation as the players are sort of making their way into the offseason. I thought one of the the bigger sound bites of the morning was Miles Turner talking about how he wants this team to find more of a defensive identity, get back to some of the stuff that they were doing when they were a playoff sort of team. Uh, It sounds good in theory. We obviously have seen the product. We know it has to get better on the court. Is that something that's going to happen internally or do they have to go externally to make that type of culture change happen defensively?
5: (laughs) Yeah, they're going to have to. I think it's honestly a little bit of both. You're going to have to ask guys to get better. I think, you know, while them, was really saw it as a rookie, there's still things he can obviously improve upon. But Ben Matherin, if he wants to be a long-term starter in the NBA and, and be more than a scorer, which I think we saw growth from him this year, if so I'm not discrediting him. But defensively, Ben Matherin is going to have to really step up, especially if he wants to be a two-way guy. And I think even Tyree Taliber has to step the list the There's a lot of times where – He's guarding probably one of the weaker players on the other team, and you know those assignments were given to other players on the roster. And I just think, as a team defender, you know there's been some. nice things. Halliburton's really good at reading passes defensively, but I think he's going to have to step up his defensive game as well. And I think you know, via the draft, via the trade, market, via free agency, they're going to have to look at guys that can maybe hold their own a little bit more. I think they're too they're too small at the four position. Aaron Eves played that a lot this year, and while he was able to go out there and have some successful moments. I don't think that's a long-term solution. Was not the biggest fan of Jordan Warren's defense, especially at the full position. So I think that while they've got you know some players out there that have shown that they can contribute to this game, I still just think they've got to go out and add a couple defensive players. But I think you got to see growth from your young players as well on that side
3: Alex, uh, one another point in the exit interviews today, uh, George Hill was asked about you know the direction of him, what happens next in his career. Uh, he, he had told uh, uh, Weed Hotchkiss that he would love an idea of a uh, hometown kind of mentor role, kind of like what Udonis Haslam had with the... Miami Heat I don't know if that's necessarily in the cards what the Pacers want to do but as you look at what George Hill provided or his presence within that locker room over the last uh, post-trade deadline I should say is that something in the cards on both sides of the street?
5: Yeah I think it should be I mean I haven't heard anything so I don't want to act like I have any inside knowledge or anything like that but I do believe that it does make sense to I me. Mean, you trade it for George Hill, obviously, to acquire some second-round picks and get a flyer on Bora and you got rid of a couple of players and be a waving them that you weren't really invested in long-term. I think George Hill needs a ton of this city, a ton of this franchise, and if there's a way they can maneuver and make a deal work where he's in that role and he's okay with it, that'd be awesome. You have to wonder, though, is there enough roster spots yeah. to keep both him and James Johnson. And if they have to pick between the two, who makes more sense? Now, I do believe that James is probably more okay with, uh, you know, maybe going into a different role, maybe a retirement role. And I wonder if that's something that could happen if maybe he retires at the end of the season and joins the Pacers staff at some point. And I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm just speculating that that can make sense to me. And then you keep George as, like, that veteran locker room presence that. I think is much needed because we saw the impact that it had on this young team already this season. So overall, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And if for some reason they have to make a decision with all three of their point guards that they have between Nimhard, McConnell, and Halliburton, uh, you know, obviously McConnell would be the odd man out. So do you look to maybe move McConnell and then get kind of George Hill as that third-string point guard, won't play a lot, you know, hoping that those two other guys are helping Nimhard and Halliburton, but, you know, I think George Hill proved that he's still got enough left to take that, hey, I mean, if you need him to step up and play 10 to 12 minutes, you know, a couple of different ice drafts in the season, you don't feel, you know, bad about So That's something to keep an eye
0: on. Alex, 365 days from right now, we look back on this upcoming year and we say, mm-hmm. wow, this guy took huge steps forward and now is a part of the what could be a great future for the Pacers.
5: Yeah, I think you got to go Benedict Matterin at this point. I I mean, I I thought last year we would see some growth from some of our sophomore players, but unfortunately they just really didn't get the opportunity, I think. You know, we talked about Duarte already with the injuries he had in Isaiah Jackson, just the amount of bigs the Pacers things to put on the roster, even at the training for bonus. They just love the centers. They can't get enough of them. So I just feel like Matterin is that guy that could really benefit from playing all season next year as a starter, and I think that we're going to see continued growth from him on both types
3: of stats. Alex, always appreciate your time. Uh, I close with this because I guess the, the theme that we've had is just random questions to close or open interviews. Um, been getting a hard time about my pimento cheese sandwich I brought in today post masters. Uh, are you a pimento cheese guy?
5: I will say it's okay. Um, I, if you haven't been to, to Tupelo Honey, which is new downtown by the Alexanders, and got some pimento cheese dip with some tortilla chips. I will yeah. say that is pretty fire. Um, my wife is a bigger pimento cheese fan than I am. I think it's good. But I will say the dip is, is what made me like pimento cheese a little bit more than I had. So it's uh, it's like a six out of ten. I, w- I wouldn't say it's bad, but I wouldn't say it's great.
3: Didn't, yeah. didn't help me there, but it's well, okay. So if
0: you take some tortilla chips or maybe some pita chips <laughs> and you put it inside the bread, so it's like eating dip- with a sandwich then it's going to be a little bit better it's a game changer it's, no it's not a game changer it's just more redeemable <laughs> that's really what we're looking at right <laughs> now anyway we can redeem your choice of lunch because you're going to have it for nine straight days right you're yeah i don't straight... i
3: don't envision nine of those being eaten okay. okay. at some all point right. that right. they're going in the trash okay i don't think i can do nine straight no right. can't do it alex you can do nine straight though you rolled through all season long and you're still rolling through as well in the lead up to the draft lottery always appreciate your coverage always appreciate you making time for us
5: Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for having me on and hope y'all have a good rest
3: of your day. Thanks. You as well. It's Alex Golden. Follow him on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA, host of studying the Pace.